Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? woo Georgia making a statement, making an absolute mockery of the TCU Horned Frogs in last night's national championship game, winning, well, wait for it, 65-7, to the largest margin of victory in title game history. Hey, hey, there it is. In case you missed it, 65 to 7. The dynasty has begun in Athens. Back to back champs. First back to back champs in the college football playoff era. Only the fourth time someone has won back to back in the last 30 years, joining 94 95 Nebraska. 0304 USC, 1112 Alabama, and now Georgia. Doesn't happen often, yet the machine that is Georgia football has made it happen. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III. I'm joined inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We got a good show lined up for you today. Bob Marlin will be joining us, the longtime Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach. Jim Gazzolo, who covers the Meanies Cowboys and hosts the Meanies Coaches Show, he will join us to talk all things Cowboys. And, of course, Ali Cassell, our good friend from The Bird Rights, going to talk all things New Orleans Pelicans. So only three guests lined up this morning. You can give us a call. We'd love to hear from you as well. Game hotline is open 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. We're going to get to the Pelicans getting a win last night. We're going to look ahead to the NFL playoffs as well this morning and do a little bit more recapping the Saints season that came to a glorious 7-10 and end over the weekend. But we're going to start off talking college football. We didn't get our blowouts in the semifinal round. We finally got two great semifinal games. So the national title game had to pay the price for that, apparently. This game was over, what, halfway through the first quarter? Yeah, it was just done. I watched into about midway through the second quarter, and I was like, okay, this is over. But there was just... You could just tell. There was no, there was no 
TCU's going to mount this glorious comeback. You could tell that the Bulldogs were determined. You could tell that they had been working on a few things since rallying to beat Ohio State in the semifinals. And they just went out there and absolutely curb stomped TCU. It was as if an NFL team was playing a college team. That's what it looked like. I thought Georgia would win. I thought Georgia may have covered. But I thought, hey, TCU beat Michigan. Undefeated Michigan. Took down the Wolverines. They got a shot, at least. And Georgia struggled with Ohio State, a team Michigan clobbered a few weeks back. No, 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 no. That logical way of thinking was wrong. Bad Raymond, bad Raymond, bad Raymond. Stinson Bennett, he did what we call a put-on-show. The former walk-on, the guy many of you say doesn't didn't belong at the Heisman Trophy ceremony and didn't belong in the conversation of being one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. We've heard that before with our poll questions, with our phone calls on this show, on this station. Uh, Stinson Bennett's just a dude. He's not, he's not that guy. That cat's going to get a statue built of him outside of the football stadium in Athens, by the way. Back-to-back national champ. And you know what he did in his final game? The former walk-on and near Raging Cajun, which I just love that he was nearly a Raging Cajun, but decided to be a walk-on at Georgia instead. I think it turned out fairly well for him. Bennett went out there and tied the record for most touchdowns, accounted for with six in a title game. Completed 72% of his passes for 304 yards, rushed for 39, scored a total of six touchdowns. Do I think Stinson Bennett's going to be a great quarterback at the next level? Eh, I don't know. Quarterbacks are always hard to figure out. It's always difficult to figure out how they're going to play at the next level it just is but I do know this kid was a heck of a college quarterback he tied Joe Burrow's record which was set in the national title game of LSU stomping all over Clemson a few years ago just unbelievable and then Georgia puts in their backups and you're like Hey, the scoring's going to (laughs) stop. No, it didn't. It kept on. Like Kirby Smart took his foot off the gas and was like, okay, backups are in. And TCU still couldn't tackle any of the Georgia players. Just unbelievable. 65 points, which is a title game record for the most points scored by a single team. Bennett ties Joe Burrow's record of six total touchdowns in a title game. Largest margin of victory in a title game. 
and back-to-back. Just a thoroughly dominant performance. And when I think of the most dominant performances, when you think of the blowouts, Georgia now over TCU 65-7, to the most dominant title game performance I've ever seen. And I was there in-house for the LSU-Clemson game inside the Superdome. Was watching the 1995 Nebraska team trounce Florida 62-24. to That was a 1-2 matchup. And Nebraska won back-to-back that year. That was one of the most dominating performances I've ever seen. The USC-Oklahoma game where the Trojans won in 2004. That was a 55-19 to game. You're like, oh. This is on that same level. But it doesn't happen that often. But it's happening a lot lately, isn't it? 2018, Clemson routes Alabama 44-16. 2020, Alabama routes Ohio State 52-24. Now we got this, and in between you got the LSU-Clemson game. We're starting to see more of this, which is interesting. That we're starting to see more of these kind of beat-down performances. But credit Georgia. Biggest blowout in college football history. At least in the modern era. Once again, we can go all the way back, back in the day where they actually awarded national championships before the bowl games. They used to do that, by the way. For you younger folks out there. I go, what? What do you mean? Yeah. National champions were decided. Also, you would sometimes in some years have four to five different national champions. Because they were awarded by newspaper groups or foundations. So, you know, back in the day, Hannah and I, and let's say, you know, Mr. Green, Martin, Doug, Steve, Ton, Reynold, we could all get together and do an RP3 and company national champion. And if it was in like the 30s and 40s, you would recognize that as being national champions. And right now, 100 years later, you would have a banner or a a trophy in the trophy case claiming that you had won a national championship because that's what it was done for years, decades, decades. National championship given out before the bowl games because for the longest time, bowl games were just viewed as a bonus extra game. That's, That's all it was. Didn't determine national championships. Then they decided to shift after the bowl game. Then we went to the BCS model. For a long time. Now we're in the college football playoff era. But Georgia. What an absolute performance. 65 to 7, man. Max Duggan did not have a good night at the office. 152 yards passing. That's it. Two interceptions. No touchdowns. They couldn't get their stud-wide receiver going. 
because Georgia was, well, dominant defensively. And you knew it was going to be Ugga's night right off the bat. First touchdown of the night was Stinson Bennett scoring on a 21-yard touchdown run. And you went, Stinson Bennett scoring touchdowns running the football? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Then they add the field goal, and it's only 10-0. And then you're thinking, hey, now, TCU came back down. Duggan scores on a uh, two-yard touchdown run, and you feel like, hey, this is going to be a track meet, right? We're still in the first quarter. It's 4.45 to go in the first quarter, and this is a 10-7 game. We've already had three scores. Boom, up and down, up and down. And then everything shifted in the second quarter. Georgia gets that touchdown pass from Bennett to McConkey late in the first. And they're up 17-7. to You're like, okay. And then it's a Stinson Bennett touchdown run. A Kendall Milton touchdown run. Uh, a Mitchell 22-yard touchdown pass from Bennett. And all of a sudden, it is 38-7 at the break. Game over. Done. And TCU was unable to make any adjustments whatsoever. TCU had no answer on how to defend Brock Bowers who, by the way, of all the guys that played last night, Bowers may be the best player on the field. And I know he's a tight end, but that cat is going to be making a ton of plays on Sundays. He's just that good. But then the third quarter comes. 22-yard touchdown pass from Bennett to Brock Bowers. Then another touchdown pass from Bennett, 14 yards. It's 52 to 7. 52 to 7. And then the backups come in, and TCU still can't stop anybody. Branson Robinson comes in and gets two touchdown runs in the fourth quarter. Kirby called off the dogs, man. They could have easily scored on another drive. Easily. This could have been a 75-7 to game easily. But Kirby finally called off the dogs. An absolute dominant performance from start to finish. Haven't seen many of these games like this. You're not going to. Michigan should have been the one in the title game. But they committed miscue after miscue and weren't there. Stinson Bennett got himself a standing ovation afterwards, after he got to come out of the game, got a bit of a curtain call, and he talked about what that meant to him after he was able to guide the Bulldogs to back to back national titles. The huddle, because uh, I told all the guys, they're like, what? what are we doing? Why don't we have a play? And I was like, well, they, uh, they kind of let me walk out of here. And, uh, but in the huddle, you know, just as simple as it is, just one last huddle with the guys, you know, and, uh, that was special and coming off seeing coach smart. Um, that was, that was really cool. And I appreciate that. It's the first time he's ever walked off that I was hugging him 
Stinson and Kirby there talking about a great moment. And look, they'll make a movie one day about Stinson Bennett, about his journey, about a guy that went from walk-on and a quarterback that the fan base didn't want to a guy who led them to -to back-to-back national titles and the most dominating lopsided margin of victory in college football history and what does that do for all the walk-ons out there it's going to be an inspiration right and Bennett was asked did has he given any thought whatsoever of what kind of example he has set for all the walk-ons moving forward when I was growing up um you know you still got to be the best right like it it doesn't matter if you you know people doubt you people doubt me well you got to be good I mean that so um, you know, I, I always used to, I enjoyed, you know, growing out my hair, wearing glasses, you know, and then going and winning the camp. Like that was, you know, um, my thing. So, you know, if you are an under-recruited guy, you are an under, like, yeah, soak that up, but like, you still got to be the best. Go, like, be spiteful out there. Be, be a dog. Like, you, you got to. Um, uh, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully in, in you know, 15 15 years, there's there's some kid out there who's being a stud, and uh, he, he remembers watching us play. Stinson Bennett, he's going to get drafted. He's going to have an opportunity. Whether or not he'll turn into a star of the NFL, who knows? They, they've been making all the jokes, right? There's, there's guys in the league that have been in the league for three years, in the NFL in three years, that are still younger than Stinson Bennett. <laughs> he, you know, he's like 25, so he, he's been around the block. But what a way to close out a career, and he's going to go down as one of the greatest players in Georgia history. And that's crazy to say that a walk-on is going to have that distinction. We're going to take a timeout. We'll talk more about this game here from Kirby Smart, a man who has now built a dynasty in Athens, and the Georgia Bulldogs are the team that runs college football now. We'll hear from Kirby next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. have an answer for that uh I think preparation was really good I'll be honest with you I was a little concerned that we were tired uh I had apprehension about you know a couple of the practices we had and Stetson's complaining to me about not having enough free time when we were in Athens he didn't want to come in as early and uh I thought you got one chance to be legendary and I'm not I'm not going to leave any regret out there and uh did you not and uh (laughs) But I, I called some seniors in and I said, look, guys, if y'all want me to cut back, I will. Um, I, I don't know, you know, from TC's perspective how things went. I, do, I, do, I did have a feeling that our offense had a really good plan. And as I watched the offense each day, I was like, we got a good plan. If we execute this plan, we're going to attack these guys and we're going to be really aggressive. I was really proud of the defense after two, out, two outings that we did not perform well. You know, they have a first-round receiver. 
They got a Heisman Trophy quarterback that was in the finalist. And I thought our defense really performed well tonight when their back's against the wall. Kirby Smart asked, why was it so easy last night in the national championship game? And he broke it down from his perspective. What you saw last night is the difference between what has been going on in the SEC for 20 years in the rest of the country. That's what it boils down to. That's what it boils down to. It's just different. The problem is that the best athletes, when it comes to college football, reside, play their high school ball in the southeastern part of the United States. You bleed over into Texas if you want to, and then you get uh, a lot of talented athletes coming out of the state of California. But that's what it boils down to. Every once in a while, you'll have Ohio State jump in there. I look back at how Urban Meyer recruited. He didn't recruit in the typical Big Ten Midwestern footprint. He came from Florida and understood, I got to go get guys from all across the country. So that's why Ohio State is the one team that's usually in the mix for the college football playoff because of that. The best athletes in high school football reside in the southeastern part of the United States. So they all go to SEC schools or ACC schools. Where like Florida State can go in there and win a national title or Clemson can win a couple. That's part of it. And Georgia is an absolute machine. And if you don't think Georgia is in a dynasty right now, We think of dynasties like you do in the NFL. Oh, you got to win four Super Bowls in a decade. It's not how it works. College football is not built that way. You've only had six times where someone's won back-to-back national championships. It's only happened four times in the last 30 years. Alabama wins in 09. They have a down season in 10. They win 11 and 12. That's three and four years. That was part of a dynasty run. Then they took a dip, and then they came back. Georgia played for the national title in 17, lost the national title game to Alabama. Then it's playing in the Sugar Bowl, winning 11 games, playing in the Sugar Bowl, winning 12 games. So back-to-back years of at least 11 wins in the mix, right? In the mix in the conversation of being in the college football playoff. They have the down year during COVID, but then it's, 14 and 1, 15 and 0. That's three national title game appearances in a six year stretch, winning 13 games, 11 games, 12 games, 14 games, 15 games. They're in a dynasty stretch for college football. What Bama was there, what Clemson was putting together there, this is what George is in. Dynasties in college football are different than dynasties in NFL. You got to change the mentality. It's not the same. Just not the same. And Kirby had himself a quarterback that a lot of fans didn't want, and maybe even Georgia didn't want. Let's be real. 
There's a reason why he was a walk-on. But, man, Stinson Bennett walks out, two-time national champ, and one of the best to ever wear the Bulldog uniform. And Kirby had this to say about the young man who has been leading his team the last couple of years. Stetson speaks for himself. Uh, the way he leads, uh, the way he prepares, um, his, his mental makeup is such of a quarterback um, that believes he can make every throw. And what he did tonight was truly amazing. I mean, probably had his best game of his career, in my opinion, with some of the checks he made, some of the decisions he made, uh, just really elite. Um, I want to thank our fans for traveling all the way out here. I hope they understand the message I'm about to say. They can't take it for granted. You know, you can't take opportunities like this for granted. And they showed up in full force, and they better never get tired of it because we need them here. We need them to back us. And you can't become complacent as a fan, and we can't become complacent as coaches. You heard his voice. That's someone who coached under Nick Staven for a decade. Can't get complacent. You literally just won back-to-back, and he's already can't get complacent. Kirby's already thinking, already thinking about, you know what? We're going to do everything we can to try to run this back and win three in a row. That's the mindset you got to have. We make jokes about it all the time. You don't get to enjoy it. There's no joy involved. If you want to be on top of the college football mountaintop, there isn't time for victory parades. There isn't. You want to stay on top? You want to be that guy? Then you got to stay on top. And you got to get back to work almost immediately. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Chad to the show. Chad, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Hey, man, we can't forget. Stetson Bennett was committed to UL and Billy Napier the uh, hours before signing that ink on that paper. And then the last minute he switched to uh, Georgia, uh, I want to say. But he was supposed to be uh, at UL. And, man, I I think he could get a lot better. The reason being – Georgia doesn't have great, great receivers to, he, to, to throw to. The lead receiver last night was a redshirt true freshman. A redshirt freshman, uh, he had five catches, 180 yards, I believe. Um, so he could just imagine what he could do with, you know, LSU's wide receivers, uh, Bama's receivers, USC. But uh, hey, man, I kind of knew it was over before they even stopped the play uh, when Holly Rose was interviewing uh, the coach. And uh, he said, we're going hunting tonight. I was like, uh-oh, somebody's in trouble big time. <laughs> uh, but, man, yeah. So, when you play, uh, I think if they played ten times, Georgia beats them ten and a half times out of ten. Uh, but I, that game was over That game was over before they even began it, man. Uh, take care, man. Have a good day. You too, brother. Yeah, it was just Georgia was the clearly dominant program and what's going to slow down the bulldogs just thinking forward here could they win a third straight maybe i mean they're going to lose carter as well who bauer look they're going to lose a ton from this team but you know what didn't they set a record for most nfl draft picks earlier last year last year from last year's title team and did that stop them They vanquished Alabama last year in the title game to win their title. Then they repeat. Look at the recruiting rankings. Kirby's got it rolling, man. 
Top five for like six straight years. College football goes through Athens. Just like it went through Tuscaloosa and Clemson. There for the better part of the last, what, five, seven years? Then before that, it was Tuscaloosa. It's staying in the southeast. And look, TCU's a great story. It is. They had a great year. Great year. And it sucks for them that they get absolutely trucked on national television by a record margin. And that's going to sting. But Georgia has built a machine. Kirby took the Nick Saban blueprint that he learned at Alabama and now has it at Georgia. Good luck. (laughs) That's good luck. Georgia's king of college football. We got to take a timeout. Keep those phone calls coming. Love to hear from you. Game hotlines open 337 That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Usawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, now that you scored yourself an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, you can use it to listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. That's right. Simply ask your Alexa or your Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. That's the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. It's just that easy. College football season has come to an end as Georgia dominates TCU 65-7. to Largest margin of victory in college football's modern era when, you know, national championships were decided after a bowl game. Stinson Bennett ties Joe Burrow's record for most touchdowns in a title game. And the Bulldogs have won back-to-back. And you look at what they've been able to do. Went to the title game in 17, lost it. Went to the Sugar Bowl back-to-back years in 18-19, winning 11 games, 12 games. Had a dip where they went 8-2. Well, I guess a dip and during the COVID year where 8-2 is a dip. And now back-to-back national champs, 14-1 in 2021, 15-0. Kirby Smart is 81-15 in seven years at Georgia. 
81 and 15, three national title game appearances, back to back national championships. That's a pretty good run. That's a pretty good run. Lots of the guys that played in last night's game, in particular on Georgia's side of the football, will be headed to the NFL. And speaking of the NFL, playoffs begin this week. Wild card weekend. Two games on Saturday, triple header on Sunday, and then we get the Monday night football game between Dallas and Tampa. And a game Saints fans will try their best to avoid because they hate both teams. Tom Brady. Oof. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Oof. Does anyone want anyone to win in that game? No. Is there any way that it can be a glorious tie? <laughs> it's just the NFL rules. Neither one of you are worthy. You're both eliminated from playoff contention. Is that something that we can make happen? Probably not. Probably not. But we have immensely intriguing matchups for the wild card round. And you have three games just by themselves that feature divisional opponents facing each other. Now, we get that because of the expanded playoffs now in the NFL. But in the AFC, you're going to have Miami at Buffalo. That's an AFC East showdown. And you're going to have Baltimore at Cincinnati. That's an AFC North matchup. And the Ravens and Bengals literally played on Sunday. And they get to play each other again. Baltimore rested everyone. They they took every opportunity they could to say, eh, second string guys, you're getting some love. Because this game really doesn't matter. So they're putting all their eggs in the basket of being ready to go into Cincinnati and try to take down the defending AFC champs. After a rocky start to the season, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and company kind of found their way late. Offensive line got a little better. Still not where it needs to be. But that's going to be your nightcap on Sunday. Ravens at Bengals. Does Lamar Jackson play? How much of an X factor will he be in that game if he does play? If he does not play, Baltimore does not have a chance. Ravens just don't. They got to have Lamar Jackson have a chance against Cincinnati. I don't see the Bengals losing at home in the first round of the playoffs. Now, getting back to a Super Bowl, eh, I don't feel as confident about that. But I do believe they'll beat their divisional opponent. The same thing goes for the other AFC matchup between divisional foes. Dolphins and Bills. Miami ends the skid. They get into the postseason for the first time in five or six years. That's great. Who's going to play quarterback for them? Who in the world is going to go out there and try to play quarterback for them? Because they're going to need someone to step up and play stellar. They're going to be on the road in Orchard Park, an emotional fired up Buffalo Bills team that 
routed New England in the regular season finale to get keep them out of the playoffs, their other AFC East rival. They're going to be at home for a playoff game. Bills by 100. Sorry. I'm happy Miami got to, got to be in the playoffs. And they overcame all the injuries they had at quarterback. But the Dolphins going into Orchard Park to take down a Bills team that's playing on an emotional high, an emotional mountain, I just don't see it. And your third matchup during wildcard weekend, that's between divisional foes, is the very first game of the weekend, and that's Seattle at San Francisco. The big question is, can Brock Purdy keep playing at this type of level for the 49ers to make a playoff run? The earliest they can get Jimmy G back, if he can come back, would be the Super Bowl. So they're going to have to rely on Mr. Irrelevant to guide them to the Super Bowl. I like the 49ers a lot. They can run the football. Elijah Mitchell is back. He scored two touchdowns in the regular season finale on the ground. They play defense. They can run the football and they can play defense. You do that in the postseason, you're going to have a chance every single time to win. There is the familiarity between them and the Seahawks. Great story, Seattle, this year with a roster that's not very good. But they found themselves a stud at running back in Kenneth Walker, the rookie out of Michigan State. Geno Smith has revitalized his career. They got some wide receivers. But of the three games featuring divisional opponents, I like the home teams to win those games. And I think they're going to win them pretty easily. I like San Francisco to move on. I like Buffalo to move on. And I like Cincinnati to move on. It's the other games that the ones that intrigue me. It's the other matchups that I go, hmm. As it stands right now, on this January 10th morning, I kind of like Jacksonville to beat the Chargers in the wildcard round. Jacksonville played extremely well in the last 10 weeks of the season. Doug Peterson is a great coach. See what he's done with Trevor Lawrence. See what he's done with that roster after Urban Meyer groped his way out of having a job there. And the Chargers, yeah, their final regular season game really didn't mean anything because it didn't affect their playoff positioning. But do you trust the Chargers? I always trust the team that has the better coaching staff. I always trust the team that's better coached. I believe Jacksonville's a better coach team. They may have less wins, but they feel like the better coach team to me. I still think that's a coin flip game, and I'm not ready to make a prediction on that yet. But I'm kind of favoring the Jags to beat the Chargers. The other AFC game, I'm sorry, the other NFC games, the other wildcard weekend games, or in the NFC. Giants, Vikings, I like Minnesota to win there. Even though you don't really trust Minnesota, they feel like a paper tiger. 
But the Giants, even though they have some talented guys and it looks like Daniel Jones has turned a corner as a quarterback, I still like Minnesota to win, but I think that's going to be an ugly game. Giants-Vikings is going to be ugly. And I just don't know if the Giants have anyone that can stop Justin Jefferson. Just honestly, I, I just I don't believe they have anyone in their secondary that they can match up and slow down Jefferson. That's going to be a problem for them. It's going to be an ugly game, though. And then the game that most of us will hate to watch, Monday Night Football, Cowboys at Bucks. This feels like a coin flip game to me. Tampa has the experience. Tampa has Tom Brady. But this isn't the Tampa team from two years ago. This isn't even the Tampa team from last year. And they've shown it over and over again throughout the season. They're not a very good football team. But Dallas underachieves better than anyone else in the National Football League. Do you trust Dallas to go and win a playoff game on the road against a team with a losing record? No, not even Cowboy fan does. That's why that feels like a coin flip game to me. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil our poll question of the day and wrap up our number one. That's all coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. It's intriguing. Georgia's now won back-to-back titles, becoming the first team since Alabama to win back-to-back when they did it in 11 and 12 in college football. That's our poll question of the day. Can Georgia win a third straight title next season? Just quick glance at their schedule. Ugh. <laughs> UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, UAB, Auburn, Kentucky, Vandy, Florida, Mizzou, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Georgia Tech. They're going to have a chance. They're going to have a chance. Maybe Tennessee can get them next year, but everyone thought Tennessee was going to get them this year, and Georgia took them behind the woodshed and gave them a beating they'll not soon forget. Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived here on RP3 and company talking about last night's national championship game 65 to seven. Yeah, that was an actual score, not a score 
I think that's even worse than any of the scores I played back in the day when I had NCAA football on PlayStation 2. And you put it on easy. Like, I don't even think you could get to that score on that. But then we got it last night. Stinson Bennett ties the national championship game record for most total touchdowns in a single game, in a title game. Of course, Joe Burrow has that record. And it feels like Kirby is now is building a dynasty. It just does. Played for the title in 17. Double-digit win seasons back-to-back years after that. Got to the Sugar Bowl both years. Won one, lost one. Won eight games during the COVID year where everything was reduced. And now has won back-to-back national championships. College football runs through Athens. And we can have debates about dynasties. Shout out to my man, Rhett. He's fired up this morning. Out there on the Twitter. My guy. Fired up about dynasties. Yes, Alabama's run, which they did, is kind of the bar, right, in the last 15 years. Winning six titles in a, a 11 seasons from 2009 through 2020. Yeah, that's that's a run. <laughs> right? But you can see what Kirby's doing. And Georgia... They vanquished Bama last year in the title game. They've won back-to-back, first team since Bama to do that. They reloaded from last year and went back out there and went undefeated this year. What are the indicators that Kirby is going to slow down, especially with the recruiting classes? Maybe they don't get three in a row next season. Maybe they don't. You look at their schedule, I'm not for sure who's going to threaten them during the regular season Once again, Georgia's regular season schedule for 2023 goes down like this. UT Martin. Ooh, the Skyhawks come to town. Then it's Ball State, South Carolina, UAB, Auburn, with a first-year head coach, Kentucky, who appears to be down. They have to travel to First Bank Stadium in Nashville to take on the Commodores. No one just walks into First Bank Stadium. Okay, everyone walks into First Bank Stadium. You can do it on game day and get a ticket easily. Heck, you may not even have to buy a ticket. They're just like, oh, you're homeless? Come on in. We'll take you. They play Florida. We expect the Gators to be better, but are they on the same level with Georgia? No. Missouri gave Uga some fits this year. Okay. Ole Miss? Eh. Tennessee was supposed to be the team that was going to take down Georgia. And Georgia treated them badly. Like, they treated Tennessee like Tennessee talked bad about their mama. Annihilated them. Embarrassed the volunteers. And then they have to play at Georgia Tech. I look at the schedule now, and yes, injuries play a role. And yes, things happen between now and the start of the season. We know this every single year. But I look at Georgia's schedule, and they got a really good chance to get back to the playoff. They don't have any of these kickoff games like they did this year where they had to play Oregon in the first game, who they absolutely crushed. Their biggest competition is probably going to be in the SEC title game. 
between, let's be honest, LSU or Alabama, because that's who's going to win the West, and then in the playoff. That leads us to our poll question of the day. Can Georgia win a third straight title next season? Right now, 44% of you say yes. 38% say no. 18% say maybe. I voted maybe. Even though I think they could easily get to double-digit wins and probably go unscathed during the regular season, winning a conference championship game and then winning two playoff games is, is it's tough. It's tough. Darren simply shared a gif of Nick Saban shaking his head no. JPK, the OD, says no B. No, BK has LSU a year ahead of schedule. Every other LSU coach that won a natty did it in his third year. Don on Twitter says, better question, will Bennett find another year of eligibility? No, I think he's done. <laughs> Ralph says the odds will be in their favor. John Paul Cajun Daddy says no, because Brian Kelly will have his second year at LSU. The Southeastern talent with the best coaching mind in the NCAA I think we have seen the beginning of a new SEC dynasty. Yeah, and I just think they're going to be in the mix. Even if UGA doesn't win next year, look at the recruiting classes. Look at what Kirby Smart's doing. They're going to be in the mix every year. So if even if they don't win next year and don't win three in a row, they're going to be a contender the year after, and they're going to be a contender the year after that. That's why it feels like they're building a dynasty. It feels like they're building what Saban did at Alabama. That's what it feels like Kirby took that blueprint and now is doing it at his alma mater. That's what it feels like. Let's head out to the hotline. We got people waiting, patiently waiting. Appreciate that. First up is Jamie. Good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, good morning, Mr. Third. So, uh, I wanted to run something by you about Stetson Bennett, if I could. All right. All right. So, I'm going to allow it. I'm going to uh, allow it, Jamie. You feel better oh, now? I appreciate, I appreciate you allowing that. <laughs> uh, go ahead, bud. <laughs> All right. So, the Saints, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, the Saints need a quarterback, Saints need a quarterback, Jameis Winston's done, Andy Dalton's done, da 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 so what if the Saints took Stetson Bennett? And hear me out on this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to make an age joke or anything. The Saints want a fairly young, but a veteran quarterback that's not going to break the bank. Now, I'm not saying that his talents are going to translate in the NFL or anything. I'm just saying that he probably has a maturity uh, and a wisdom that a lot of players coming out of the college game don't have. So... Maybe Stetson minutes to the Saints as a possible quarterback? I don't look. Stetson intrigues me because of his journey, right? And the fact that he was able to overcome being a walk-on and it was able to lead this team to national titles. Look, the kid can flat-out play. For all those that, oh, you know, he doesn't deserve this, he doesn't, it doesn't really matter, right? He's been the quarterback of a team that's won back-to-back national titles. He accounted for six touchdowns in last night's 65-7 to win. The kid can play college football. Can he play at the next level? I don't know. I really don't. It's so tough, Jamie, when it comes to quarterback evaluation and figuring out who can because it's all about development at the next level. It's all about finding a coach, a head coach, 
and an offensive coordinator that can harness your talent and develop you and push you. And we see so many teams that are bad draft quarterbacks, and then what happens? They don't have the personnel in place to develop the young man. They throw him out there too early. They don't give him the skills or the tools that he needs to succeed, and he fails. Do I think Bennett could – do I think Bennett's going to interview really well at the Combine or during his pro day? Yes. I think NFL teams are going to be immensely impressed by him. I think NFL teams are going to love his story. I don't think NFL teams are going to fight to draft him, though. Because in the NFL, their mindset is potential. What's Stinson Bennett's potential at the next level? Probably as a backup quarterback. So do I think Stinson Bennett gets drafted? Yeah. Maybe third, fourth round guy? I, if I had to guess right now. Now, once again, his draft stock could go up. Teams are always desperate for quarterbacks. Maybe he goes a little bit higher. But he feels like a mid-round pick, a guy that's going to be a third-string quarterback that can maybe stick around in the NFL as a backup. I don't think he's a guy that could be the guy for a franchise. I just don't know if he's that guy. I, I just don't no, know, I, that, that, but that's just I, me. I definitely agree with that uh, with that assessment. and I don't think he's going to be a high-round pick either. That's why I said, you know, take a flyer on him, see, what, you know, see what's going on. Worst that you can get is Ian Book. He's probably closer, if we're being honest, and, and this is not to be critical of the young man, he's closer to being A.J. McCarron than he is Joe Burrow. That's where he's that's at, fair. right? That's so fair. so that that that's where he's at. And, and look, he's a gutty leader. He makes the throws. He makes plays. Guy had six touchdowns last night. So we're not taking anything away from Stinson Bennett. He was the perfect quarterback for this team. Once again, it's a team game, and Georgia's got a lot of, pardon the pun, a lot of dogs out there, right? A lot of guys that are going to be playing on Sunday. They put a lot of guys in the NFL last year's draft. They're going to do it again in a couple of months. And so Bennett's the perfect guy for that. But he does remind me more of, like an A.J. McCarron, than he does a Joe Burrow. So I don't know, but I think he's going to get the opportunity. I think what he's done the last couple of years, Jamie, is going to give him the opportunity to be drafted. And I think he's going to get himself an NFL contract, and he's going to be in the NFL for a few years. Whether or not he turns that into a 10-year career, that remains to be seen, but I do think he is going to do that. All right, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and... I don't know that the dog's going to win the national championship next year. You can't sleep on UT Martin now. Y'all have a oh, great day. Oh, 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 thank you, Jamie. Yeah, you can't sleep on that. Well, that schedule. That, that, is, that is a nice, favorable schedule. Maybe Tennessee gets them late in the season. Maybe. Maybe. Because Georgia's going to have to replace a ton. But so is Tennessee. No Hooker, no Hyatt. Just saying. We got to take a timeout. When we return, though, here in RP3 and Company, we're going to shift gears from college football to college basketball. Bob Marlin, longtime men's basketball coach for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us to talk about his team. Bouncing back after the rough start to conference play, getting two wins over quality opponents. They got two more on tap 
this week. We'll talk all about it with Coach Marlin. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball team snapped a three-game losing streak and did so in convincing fashion. First, taking down new conference member and old rival Southern Miss, 75-61 last Thursday inside the Cajun Dome. They followed that up by beating a very pesky Georgia State team, a great little rivalry between those two programs, 78-70 on Saturday to even their conference mark at 2-2 two and two overall. This week, couple of road games at ULM, having to travel to Fant Ewing Coliseum on Thursday night, and then they'll have to make the trip down to Mobile to take on South Alabama inside the Mitchell Center on Saturday. Joining us now to talk about his ball club is the longtime coach of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball team, Bob Marlin, joins us. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Raymond. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So let's Let's go back because, you know, you have your road trip to start the season in conference play. It doesn't go your way against Colston, against a, a pretty good old Dominion team as well. But then you come back home. What was the big difference in what your team was able to do on the floor execution-wise in the two wins last week compared to the games at Colston and at old, old Dominion? Well, it's pretty simple. We made shots. We shot the ball well from distance, uh, both games at home. Uh, something we did not do on the road. Our defense was better in both home games. And then every game that we've played, we've had less turnovers than our opponents. So we've really valued the basketball and improved in that area. But those are probably the main differences, uh, Raymond. With the conference expanding, Coach, you know, you talked about this before the, the season. You know, you're adding quality programs to this conference, and the conference got better. It got deeper, which means far more competition, which is actually good for the conference. You know, being able to face off with some of these teams early on, like Old Dominion, like Southern Miss, you know, how's that going to help your team down the stretch for the rest of the season and heading into the conference tournament? Well, playing uh, Coastal to begin with and going up east on this trip where we played before, but going Old Dominion, we only played those two teams one time, Raymond. So kind of like Georgia State. And so those three games are in a different category in my mind because we only play them once, and you don't want to wind up tied with them in the overall conference standings. Southern Miss is a little bit of a different story. We've had a, a rivalry with them. I think the last time they played was the year before I got here. We tried to get those guys to play. They didn't want to. Jay Ladner took over, um, and we got them on the schedule. And, of course, last year we went over there, Raymond. We were supposed to play them at home during COVID year. Yep. They got washed out. 
And so we went over to Southern Miss and beat them 20 last year in Hattiesburg. And by that time, we knew they were going to be in the league the next year. Uh, so, But they've got a good team. They're different uh, a little bit from the other three just because of location. Yeah, I mean, Southern Miss right now, you know, overall, they're 14-3, and three, right? They're, they've had a very strong season, very comparable to what Marshall's done and what you guys have done so far. James Madison's been good. Old Dominion's been good. Uh, this conference is just so deep. With the additional teams, Coach, and what the travel comes with that, uh, how do you is – is, does that present different challenges for you than, than maybe in years past? Yeah, there's no question that the travel is longer and, and uh, we don't have travel partners uh, for this season, Raymond, which is a little bit of an issue because we, we have some very difficult trips. Like we, we play this week, we go to uh, Monroe, and, and usually that's a single game with us, or maybe we go to Arkansas State out of that. But this year we go to Monroe, and then we go to South Alabama. In the past, we've gone to South and Troy. Uh, the following week, we go to Arkansas State. Then we go to Texas State. So the travel with just two days is hard, and the coaches have been talking uh, this past week about trying to get back to travel partners because it makes it it's very challenging, uh, very challenging. So uh, – Late in the year, one of our travel situations, we're going to play Monroe at home on a Thursday night, and then Saturday we play at James Madison. So there's some split weekends, if you understand what I'm saying. It's difficult, and everybody has them. So I think timing is crucial when you play some of these teams. Yeah, and I was looking at the schedule down the road, and you just mentioned one of the things that, that caught my attention because it's like, okay, well, yeah, you're going to be at home, but then uh, you're going to have to fly out the the next morning to be able to get to your next location and enough of time to be able to prepare to take the court on that Saturday game, and that's uh, that that's a bit <laughs> a little brutal, so to speak, there, coach. Yeah, that one that one's a tough one because it's a, the, the longest distance between. You know, our, our, our points for our SBC rivalry teams and uh, flying into Washington, D.C. on a Friday afternoon, losing an hour, I mean, and still have a couple-hour bus ride through traffic, you know, it makes it tough. Tell me a little bit about incorporating Kobe Julian into the rotation, getting him minutes. I know that's always a, a process. You, your team has great chemistry, but – you have to kind of figure things out on the floor as well, how the pieces all go together. How do you uh, feel like that's been going in the last uh, few games, and how do you feel Kobe's been doing kind of transitioning back into being a guy that can get you a lot of minutes? Well, Kobe has worked extremely hard and, and been ready to go since probably mid-December, and we chose to wait till conference play. Uh, came in, hit two big buckets for us at Coastal. Uh, hasn't really gotten a rhythm, to be honest, uh, Raymond, because partly because of the way we've played. But he's done a great job in practice, and his teammates are excited about him being back. And uh, he's definitely going to be a big plus for us moving forward as we try to win. It's a good problem to have, right? To have so many talented guys to try to figure out their rotation, coach. Yes, no, it is, and we we've got a great locker room and. 
got a, a, a great team chemistry. This group's been really fun to work with. And uh, unlike a couple in years past where it's been a challenge, uh, but uh, this group gets along, and it is a nice problem to have. Coach, let's talk about your first game this week. You have to go up to Fayette Ewing Coliseum to take on ULM. They're 7-10 and overall, but they did – begin conference play 3-0. and They dropped their final, uh, their, their their last game, rather. They're now 3-1 and in Sunbelt play. Uh, what does the tape tell you, and what are kind of the challenges that the Warhawks are going to present your team on Thursday night? Well, they're, they're one of the teams, Raymond, along with Georgia Southern and Southern Miss that were picked at the bottom of our league, and they're, they're all 3-1 and tied for first. That shows you what kind of uh, – predictability there's going to be in this league and the, the, the closeness between the teams and how the travel is definitely going to affect the games. But so um, Monroe has done a good job this year in conference. They got off to a great start. They won at Texas State in a low-scoring game. They did not shoot the ball well, but they're very good defensively. And uh, they traveled to Jonesboro, Arkansas. Again, here's one of those trips that I'm talking about. We're going to do it in reverse order. But their flight was canceled on Southwest, and they have to bus oh. nine hours to Jonesboro, and they shoot the cover off the ball, Raymond. They shoot 12 for 21 and uh, wind up beating Arkansas State by a dozen, I believe. Uh, and then they came home and, and beat Georgia State uh, before losing to Southern Miss by five on Saturday. What is your team going to need to do? Thursday night to be able to go in there and get a win. They, they've been. They had a player that got injured. One of their all-conference players uh, preseason got injured in December, and it really cut down their rotation. And you know, just talking about that and adding Kobe in, the challenges that you have there. Sometimes it, it happens for you, and they they really only play seven people, six to be honest. So. They know, everybody knows their roles, what they're doing. And they've had really good guard play. They've got uh, a young man who was at South Alabama. He transferred to UAB. He's transferred again to Monroe. And then he's, he's doing a good job for him. Tariq LaCour, he's their leading scorer. Uh, and the other guard, Blackman, is a North Alabama transfer. And he scored 1,000 points at North Alabama. And both those guards have been scoring and shooting the ball very well for him. Coach, I know it's early in the week, but what about South Alabama? What can you tell uh, tell us about what the Jaguars are going to bring to the table? I know they're at the bottom of the standings currently, seven and nine overall, one and three in conference play. Uh, but but what what can you expect to see when you take the court against South Alabama on Saturday? Well, I haven't dived into them as much as the assistant coaches, but I have seen a couple of games. Um, they picked up a new guy inside, Kevin Samuel. It's about seven feet two two eighty. Very big player. He played at TCU when we played him a couple of years ago. Averaged a double-double last year at Florida Gulf Coast. And uh, he's, a, he's a really good player and does a, gives him a bigger and better post player than they've had. But their guards have not shot the ball, Raymond, uh, statistically the way they have in the past. And, and he's got a shorter rotation as well. And I know they're trying to figure some things out. And we just got to make sure it's not next Saturday. Coach, always appreciate your time. Glad uh, we're able to do this and have you on uh, every week and uh, get your insight on what's going on with the Raging Cajuns events basketball team. 
congratulations on the back-to-back wins and best of luck this week in Monroe and South Alabama, Coach. Thanks, Ryan. That's Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach Bob Marlin joining us here on RP3 and Company. Hey, just a reminder, though. Mardi Gras is going to be here in no time, right? It's going to be here in no time. It's already king cake season. But Mardi Gras is going to be here. And look, you can get Mardi Gras started the right way with a real fun run. Trail presents the Lundy Graw Barathon. That's going to be on Monday, February 20th. It's four miles through Freetown, just south of the parade route. Wear a costume and enjoy free drinks throughout the course served at the Adult Hydration Station. A party bus will follow close behind, so runners can jump aboard at any time. Run all or some or none. Hey, man, if you just want to go for the party, you can do that as well. The audience will vote for the winner of the costume contest, so bring your loudest, craziest friends with you. It's the Lunday Graw Barathon. Free drinks, food, and prizes. Register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, going to talk a little New Orleans Saints football. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Can Georgia win a third straight title next season? It's, oh man, it's so tough. It's tough, nearly impossible to win back-to-back, which they did last night after defeating the TCU Horn Frogs 65-7 for the largest margin of victory in a national title game in history. Right now, 45% of you say yes. 33% say no. 22% say maybe. B-Rad says... Back-to-back has happened several times, but there's a reason three straight has never happened. So the answer is no. Yeah, man. The closest we've come to seeing it happen would have been USC. Now, they didn't win the BCS National Championship, but they had their little AP trophy. The Trojans did. In 2003, that was the weird year where everyone wanted to see USC take on LSU in the Sugar Bowl for the national title. And instead, they opted to put in Oklahoma, who lost to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. LSU beats Oklahoma. They get crowned BCS national champs. USC wins their game, which I do believe was the Rose Bowl. Associated Press crowns them national champs. But then 04 comes around and Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and Lindell White and those boys curb stomped Oklahoma to win the national title. One of the most lopsided games ever. 
and then they were trying to win a third in a row. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Herb Street and the rest of the ESPN crew and ESPN spent the entire week of that national title game in 2005, for the 2005 season, rather. Texas versus USC. And everyone was telling us this is the greatest team in the history of college football. This USC team is the greatest team in the history of college football. They're going to win a third straight game. They're playing in the Rose Bowl in their own backyard. Texas and the Longhorns, Vince Young, don't have a chance. And what happened? One of the most thrilling national title games of all time, maybe the the most thrilling, as Vince Young and the Longhorns take down the Trojans. But that's really the closest we've even come. And that kind of has that weird thing where USC didn't win the BCS title the first year of that that attempted three-peat, right? It was only the AP title. So it's so hard. It's just so hard. And look, we looked at Georgia's schedule for next year, not exactly filled with a bunch of world beaters. I could see them winning the East. I could see them being undefeated during the regular season. But then they're going to face a very fired-up, inspired LSU or Alabama team in the SEC championship. And then you have to win two games in the playoffs. It's going to be really tough. Doug on Twitter says, with a schedule like 2023, who couldn't, by the way, TCU owes me three hours of my life back. Let's go Tiger baseball. Wes on Twitter says, with that schedule, if they lose it, he'll be in the semifinals. Yeah, they, they could they could be in the mix and then lose once they get to the playoffs. But keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kiddos. Well, we got some time here. Let's talk New Orleans Saints football. Seasons come to an end, 7-10 and 10 overall on the year. Got swept by the Kitty Cats out of Charlotte even though they fired their head coach, traded away their best player, and then traded away their best wide receiver. They lost the finale 10-7. to Going to be lots of soul-searching in this offseason for the Saints. Lots of decisions are going to have to be made. Do you just trade Michael Thomas now that you've restructured the contract? What do you do with some of the other guys that are going to be facing free agency? I would not bring back Marcus Davenport. <laughs> Just saying. I wouldn't. You got to fix your D-line. You got to get some safety help. You got to get more depth across the offensive line. You got to get depth at running back. You got to get a big body wide receiver. Who's going to play quarterback? It's not going to be a good offseason for the Saints. Dennis Allen, will he be here? Many a fan is clamoring for him to be fired and not to return. Don't want anything doing with D.A. for another year. But D.A. was asked about his future, was asked, in fact, has he spoken with the queen, the woman who owns the team, Miss Gail Benson? And this is what D.A., told the media yesterday well yeah we've talked throughout the season but um you know i feel like i've got mrs b's uh support she's been nothing but outstanding for for us and and uh 
you know, I'm sure that at some point we'll sit down and, and, and visit. But, um, but no, I have not spe haven't specifically sat down with her after the season and, and went through a rehash of the, of the season. He's coming back. Look, I'll make a comparison here. Many Saints fans want him out of there, want him fired including the young lady that sits across from me every morning from 6 to 9. I don't think it's going to happen. right? It's just not. As much as you want it to, it's not. It's like my daughter Hattie. As much as she would like when she comes home in the afternoon and would love to sit there and watch cartoons for three hours, that's what she would like to do. She would love nothing more to get her scratch pad to come out, do some drawings while watching her favorite cartoons for three hours. But that's not the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is she comes home, she gets a snack, she gets a cartoon, and then it's time to work on the homework. Which Daddy helped with yesterday, last night, and there were moments where I was on the struggle bus myself going, thinking to myself, how did I pass third grade? Are they teaching things differently now? <laughs> but what you want to happen, in the case of my daughter, to have three suckers and watch three hours of cartoons when she comes home from school is not the reality of what's going to happen. So sorry, Saints fan. As much as you want Dennis Allen not to be there, sorry, he's coming back next year. Now, whether or not Pete Carmichael is going to be with them, that's a discussion for another day. I don't think that's going to happen. But DA was asked, you know, hey, how would you self-evaluate the job you did this year and the season you had? And this is what the man in charge of the black and gold had to say about that. You sit down and you, you, you think about it and you write down things. Oh, what did I do well? What did I not do well? Part of that is not just self-evaluation, but I'll get, I'll ask Mickey Michael, Jeff, coaches, you know, hey, what'd you think? What'd I do well? What'd I not do well? Um, and I'll take that information and try to grow from it. I'm all about trying to get better. I get it. Whether or not Jeff Ireland's going to be there is a, is a another discussion because I do believe Jeff Ireland's going to be targeted for a GM job. He has the experience. He's been a general manager before. I'm just saying if some team needs a general manager and a head coach, I know a former Saints head coach that is looking for work. And he worked really well with Jeff Ireland. Just saying. Don't be surprised if that may transpire where Jeff Ireland and Sean Payton team up somewhere as a GM coach combination. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. I asked a couple of people I trust, and they're like, there's a couple of places where that would work really well. So just saying. Uh, look, the team played hard for him late in the season, and the defense took a corner, turned a corner. Because the defense, let's be honest, was not very good for, what, 12 weeks? Let's be honest. The Saints defense fell short of expectation for about 12 weeks. The last four or five weeks of the season, they started turning a corner, which is great. You would have liked that corner to be turned, I don't know, in week five. And if that would have been the case, they probably would have been in the playoffs right now. 
So he's going to do some self-evaluation. He's going to try to work on things. That's, that's good. He was also asked, hey, what were the biggest factors in the Saints' offensive struggles during the 2022 season? Yeah, there's. I think there was a, a lot of factors that go into that. Um, you know, there was a lot of injury issues. Um, you know, you lose a number one receiver for most of the year. Um, had a lot of injuries on, on the offensive line up front. Um, and we weren't able to make some of these critical plays in, in, uh, in critical times uh, that could have, whether it be finished off drives and scoring, uh, closing out games, some of those things, um, you know, we weren't we weren't good enough in those areas. weren't good enough in those areas. There we go. They weren't good enough in those areas. Now, I credit the New Orleans media folks for stepping up and going, "Hey, DA, you're going to answer some more of our questions," which was good. And credit Dennis Allen for sitting there and actually answering the questions. And one of those is. What are they going to do with Michael Thomas? Remember, over the weekend it was announced they restructured his contract, essentially took the majority of his base salary for 2023, turned into a signing bonus, which is going to essentially allow them to either trade Michael Thomas or cut him without massive penalty, right? It, it, you can tell what the, the move that they're going to try to make this offseason, that they're going to move on from their star all-pro wide receiver who essentially hasn't played in three years. And he was asked, what have y'all decided to do with Michael Thomas? And this is what D.A. had to say. No, again, there's been no decisions made on, on anything to this point. Um, I think that was more of a, you know, it kind of gives us, I guess, and, and, and him just a little bit more flexibility in terms of what we do as we, as we set our plan going forward. That's kind of an answer of, I don't know. That's a, that's a, a way of saying I don't know the front office has an idea of what they want to do their DA that's what that tells you you can say oh it gives us some flexibility no no this is Mickey Loomis stepping in going it's time to move on this is time to move on do you believe we've seen Michael Thomas play his last snaps with the New Orleans Saints another big talking point and a sticking point for this team offensively this season was you played Jameis Winston when he was hurt, when he had multiple stress fractures in his back, had a leg issue. You kept him in the game. You finally took him out of the game or he was like, hey, I'm banged up. He gets healthy and then he never sees the field again because you rolled with the red rifle Andy Dalton who led the offense to a mere seven points on Sunday's finale. Asked, why did you refrain from starting Jameis Winston? Well, look, I, I think, uh, you know, initially it was, it was the, the injury issue. Um, and, and then as, as time went on, you know, uh, I felt like Andy was the one that gave us a, a better opportunity to win. We didn't win enough games, and so all those things are always going to be questioned and, and second-guessed. I don't know if second-guessed is the right word, but be questioned. Um, and I'm comfortable with that. Second-guessing is questioning, because you're, but I, I, I digress. <laughs> I, I digress with poor D8. Look, he answered the questions. What You know what the Saints need? They need to bring in an offensive-minded guy to come in to run the offense. P. 
Pete Carmichael told you he didn't want the job. We talked about it. It was documented. It was reported on. He told Mickey Loomis and Dennis Allen he didn't want to be offensive coordinator. He always preferred just to be a quarterback coach and an assistant coach. He did not want to be the guy calling plays. And yet they came back to him again, and he begrudgingly became the OC. He obviously doesn't want that job. He obviously doesn't have the skill set for that job. You need to bring in a guy that can handle the offense like Sean Payton did. Sean Payton knew offense. He took care of the offense. He hired Dennis Allen to be his defensive coordinator not once but twice so he didn't have to worry about that side of the football. I don't have to worry about defense because I got a guy who's competent of running the defense. Dennis Allen needs a guy to come in to run the offense. That's what needs to happen this offseason. And if they don't make a change at offensive coordinator, it's going to be another season of pain, Saints fan. It's going to be another season of pain. We had to take a timeout. Wrap up hour number two. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Can Georgia win a third straight title next season? That's our poll question of the day. Uh, It's never been done. (laughs) It's nearly impossible to win back-to-back, which they did last night with a 65-7 throttling of TCU in the national title game. But I just don't know, man. We asked you, 46% of you are optimistic, though. That Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs can run it back a third straight year. 35% of you say no. 19% say maybe. Their regular season schedule is It's not very good. They're not really going to be tested. Maybe Florida. Maybe, maybe Tennessee. But I think Georgia is still head and shoulders above both of those programs. And we saw what a great Tennessee team that won double-digit games and won the Orange Bowl this year. What happened when they faced Georgia? It was Bussall. Now, could Georgia go through and do really well and maybe lose in the playoff? Yeah, maybe. Martin on Twitter says, negative, 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 and that I'd forget to mention negative. Last time I checked, the last team to beat the Bull Mutts was Bama, and Saban was still coaching Bama. Enjoy the top of the mountain, Bull Mutts, because Bama is coming. Roll Tide. Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin. Alabama didn't want anything to do with this this year's Georgia team. They would have not. They wouldn't have lost 65-7, to but they would have lost. Got to take a timeout. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Jim Gonzalo of the Lake Charles American Press. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. You know, I may be known as the big, bald, and beautiful one, but our next guest is known for the beautifully 
crafted stories, he writes for the Lake Charles American Press. And the beautiful questions that he asks on television as host of Polk Nation and as host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which, by the way, you can listen on Wednesdays right here on The Game. It's our privilege to welcome on Mr. Beautiful himself, Jim Gazzolo. Jim, good morning, sir. How are you? Who are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about Jimmy G from LC. What's up? Wow, you you lost it. <laughs> you started to lose it, Raymond. But how are you doing today? Uh, so, it was a good run. The I made it to 44. It was a good run. It's all downhill from here. Um. <laughs> so, hey, before we dive into McNeese, uh, how about that national championship game last night, bud? Okay. <laughs> Georgia looked really good, and TCU looked really bad. Oh, man. That's really about all you can... Here's the thing. I, I said all along, all year long, I said there was one team I thought could beat Georgia, and they missed the field goal. That Ohio State was the only team that had the athletes to beat Georgia. It, all, a, it, it, it really does. Any league, don't give me any SEC's great because uh, they got blown out by – they blew out everybody too. That was the one team I thought could win. Well, it, it all comes down to athletes. I mean, that, I mean, yeah. it, it always comes down to the players. And, and that's why I always say yeah. Ohio State's the one team that's always in the mix because they recruit like an SEC team does. They, they just do. And that started really. Well, they, have, they have the they have the entrance exam, like. like Yo, that's true. Cool. That's true. Yeah, it's, so. it's not it's, it's not it's not that difficult <laughs> to get to the Ohio Let's State. Uh, cor- yeah, and that, that that's it. And that was, I, I thought, TCU had to play fantastic. They didn't. They only you know they only had one play. They had one mistake by Georgia in the secondary, and that was it. Otherwise, they didn't do anything. That was it. Yeah. That was it. Uh, it reminded me the. It reminded me of that USC Oklahoma title game, yeah, two thousand four. That that was that, that's, yeah. And I I think we've seen that you just the SEC is is above the rest. The Big Ten is second, and the rest really do struggle, and they're going to continue to struggle. And and the struggle, Jim, is not. Because they don't have talented players. That's that's not the that's not the issue. The issue is that when you look at the teams from the SEC, whether it's been Alabama or LSU or Georgia, you look at when Clemson was you know competing as yeah. well, and Ohio State, they have talent everywhere, right? It's just depth, not depth. right. It's just not a star quarterback or star wide receiver, it's that, but then they have three guys behind the star wide receiver that can take his place. They have another sure. star linebacker, a five-star linebacker waiting in the wings to get onto the field. That happens at those programs. It doesn't happen anywhere else. No, and that's – I think USC may get there eventually, but um, Lincoln Riley has always showed me that he doesn't care about, enough about defense yet. So I, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't – I don't know how it shakes out. I don't know how many teams you invite to the final party of championship contenders, but uh, I I don't know if 12 changes much. No. 12 it, makes it a little more interesting because you're going to have some campus games that may upset some teams. But other than that, I don't, I don't think so. 
No, I, I agree with you, and I think the the best is the best. And you know, I had a discussion with someone they, they were talking about Lincoln Riley. Like, well, you know, I think he's going to win a national title in three years. And I go, he may not even be at USC in three years because if I was an NFL team, I'd coming I'd coming to that. Lincoln Riley this offseason or next offseason and say, come bring your offense. Don't worry. We will throw a ton of money at someone to coach the defense. Don't worry about that. Right? That's I, what I would do. That, that, that's the trend. I, that's that, I, I don't know. I, that, that'd be the guy that I would go, go after. All right, let's shift gears to the Chuck. Last Thursday was a great environment. It, it really was. It was Joe Dumar's day. The women's basketball team rallies to win. We have the ceremony for Joe D on the court where they officially name it after him. They have the nice video presentation. He takes pictures, signs T-shirts, the whole nine yards. And then the men's team goes out there and wins the game, uh, shoots a season-high 15 three-pointers in the contest. What was your big takeaway with what they were able to do with Joe Dumars and Joe Dumars Day? The fact that they're smart enough now to understand they need the resources uh, back. And uh, this week it's going to be John Rudd. Uh, for, they're going to retire his jersey on Saturday. He's a former NBA player. He played for the Knicks, went to McNeese. They're kind of cleaning up past mistakes in order to move forward with uh, ambassadors that are good for the program. And that's how it should be. The arena was how it should be, how it was when they won seven in a row, when they were first in the building. Uh, so I, I think that's the biggest thing is it is a continuation of what he sure brought when he came, which was patching old relationships that would have gone wrong and working with them to build and bridge to a better community uh, relationship overall. And it's important to do that, to honor the past, you show some respect there, and like you said, they can serve as ambassadors for your program, and you hope the trickle-down effect is always, obviously, people making donations. Let's let, let's be real, right? Yeah. Uh, that's part yeah. of it. When you have famous alumni, you would love for them to be able to do events and to donate money back to the athletic department. But Yeah, if it, you give them something in return. The, correct. The, the history, Dubars has always been good to make these people. He was not good to the school because the school wasn't just took him for granted. Flat out took him for granted and felt like he owed them something, and that soured the relationship. And I think that you know Heath has gone out and said, "I just want to be your friend. I want to you know give me some advice," and kind of cultivated a relationship that now Dumars is comfortable with. And they'll be moving forward with that type of process, which is smart. Let's actually talk about. The team, rough start to the season. They played some tough non-conference competition, all of that on the road. Was able to survive that. And a big change for what Aiken's doing with his team is the decision to go with a smaller lineup, four guards out there essentially, and let Christian Shoemate play the game of basketball the way he likes to play it and the way that he's most effective at playing it, which is attacking the rim and being freed up to do so because you have the guards out on the perimeter. What do you make of Aiken being able to make that transition early in this season and kind of just pivoting a little bit during the year? Well, some of it was out of necessity and injury. But a lot of it is the fact that they could not hang. Well, they only had two guards on the floor. 
they could not keep the basketball. They were averaging almost 20 turnovers a game. It was killing them. They had 30 at Iowa State. They went with a smaller lineup, in particular to one, spread the floor, two, get their best five basketball players on the court, and three, hang on to the basketball. And that, that has happened, and that has transitioned into more opportunities at shooting. Uh, they've gotten the better shooters on the floor, but they've all gotten more shots up. When you don't turn them over 20, when you go from 20 turnovers to 10 turnovers, that is essentially 10 more shots at the basket. If you make four, that's eight more points. At nine, if you do a couple threes. So all of a sudden, you've almost gotten 10 more points just by hanging on to the basketball. And I think that was really out of necessity more than anything else is that was killing them more than anything else that was killing them. They start off conference play with back-to-back wins. And then on Saturday, they find themselves in a dogfight, a game that they drop in overtime. What happened in the game against Texas A&M Commerce? A great game. It was, it was actually a very good game. They led by 15 early. Commerce came back. Commerce had a couple of really good players. They came back, led by nine with three minutes left. McNeese rallied, scored the final back basket with uh, uh, a jump shot by, by Zach Scott with two seconds left to send it to overtime. Led by three in overtime in the final minute and then had two very costly turnovers uh, when the freshman Darren O'Day, who was in the game because Harwin Fred Swan was fouled out, um, just kind of rushed and uh, played like a freshman for a minute and a half and uh, lost by two points. Um, but a good, a good showing, an entertaining game. They were kind of boring, realistically, before the Lafayette game, before playing UL. And then they kind of went small, kind of fouled their game, and really – up-tempoed things, and they become much more exciting. Want to see how they do on Thursday night at Northwestern State. They're playing the same team that they just beat last Thursday. This Thursday, I think Northwestern State will play much better at home and shoot the ball much better than they did. So it's going to be a tough game for them. We're only three games into the Southland Conference slate, but when I look at the standings, obviously A&M Corpus Christi is a top at 3-0, and and they're one of the few teams that has a winning record overall. Actually, one of only two teams in the conference to have a winning record overall at 10-6. and yeah. Then it's a logjam. Southeastern, Nichols, UNO, Texas A&M Commerce, McNeese at 2-1, and and then Northwestern State and the fighting CVS Pharmacies, HCU at 1-2. and do you feel like this is going to be the case where it's going to be a log jam and no one's really going to kind of run away with this conference for the regular season title? Or do you think it's going to be, you know, you, you feel like maybe a couple of these teams could really separate themselves in the next few weeks? Uh, I think I think there will be some separation. I think Commerce has a chance to separate itself from everybody. Uh, defending champs, everybody's back. Um, I think Nichols will be there. I think Northwestern State will have a chance uh, once they kind of get their footing. Um, like I said, they, 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 they've, lost to, they've lost to Corpus Christi, and then they lost on Joe Dubar's day. And let's face it, McNeese was ready to play that day because of the whole Dubar's thing and the big crowd. That. Um, so I, it, this is a big week 
if McNeese wants to be realistic about having a chance to do something in the league, have to split at least, probably have to win both. Um, if they win Thursday night, I think they send a message that they would have beaten Northwestern State five straight in the last two years, that, they are, that they're serious about this. I, I think that's going to be the toughest game. Uh, but I, I don't see anybody really a great team besides possibly Commerce. Or, I'm sorry, possibly uh, Corpus Christi. And then, you know, not only did they play Northwestern State this week up in Natchitoches, and you expect a better effort from the Demons on their home court there inside Prather Coliseum, and they should beat HCU, but then they have to play Nichols in that weird scheduling thing of back-to-back games, right? At, you know, I have to go to Thibodeau on next Thursday and then host them in Lake Charles on that Saturday. And then it's Incarnate Word, and then it's Texas A&M Corpus Christi again. We're going to find out a lot about this McNeese basketball team once the calendar flips over to February, aren't we? Yeah, but I, I kind of like the fact that the second game of that back-to-back is at home. Because I think it's hard to take a team serious. If you, if you beat them and beat them badly, let's say, on the Thursday it's hard then to go to their place and have that same intensity because it's so back to back. I think that I think that actually I think the closer the games are, if the teams are equal, I think it really helps the team that lost the first time because there's that sense of well, we just beat them, kind of in your mind. There will be and there's going to be no time really to change anything from a Thursday to a Saturday. It's going to be all on emotion. So I, I think that 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 calls to me a lot of splits um but yeah that's that's the big the next week and a half is really the big week to see what sets up for this with these teams jim appreciate your time as always brother keep up the tremendous work that you're doing over there the multimedia superstar jimmy g from lc that's it but that's all i got Hannah's last week no, that's in a couple of weeks. But thanks <laughs> for that. Thanks for that. Thanks for bringing that up on the air. Thanks, Jim. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Gazzolo, the great one. We got to let you go, bud. All right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press, the McNeese Coaches Show in Poke Nation. He's everything Cowboys and more. And more. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. We are asking you, oh yeah, we're asking you, do you think Georgia can do the impossible and win three in a row? 40% say yes. 40% of you say no. 20% say maybe. Look, their schedule is not filled with world beaters for the regular season. It just isn't. But 
Are they going to be able to go through that unscathed with having to reload yet again? Are they going to be able to win the SEC championship? Don't forget, during this run here, Alabama beat them in the SEC championship game a year ago. And then Georgia beat Alabama for the national title. So it can be done. And Georgia was suspect a couple of times during the season. Missouri had them on the ropes, probably should have won that game. Kentucky gave them, you know, a bit of trouble. So I just don't see it because it never happens. Now, their schedule is favorable. Could they get through the regular season? Yes, but then they have to win the SEC championship game, which is more than likely, let's be honest, it's going to be between LSU and Alabama. Then it's everyone else in the West. It just is. It's going to be Bama, LSU, in the West next year. Mississippi State's going to be on a new coach. Lane Kiffin is doing some things at Ole Miss. Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, they're a mess. It's really going to be between, as expected, Bama, LSU. And then comes the playoff. So I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see how many of Kirby's guys on staff are going to get poached. So we always talk about the NCAA transfer portal, about players. But the thing that will take down a program quicker than a player leaving in the transfer portal is good coaches leaving. We've seen this at Alabama. You lose your brain trust, it hurts. We saw it at LSU. Ed Orgeron lost his guys that were on staff for the national title season, and they struggled the next year. It's hard to find really good, great coaches. And when those guys leave for other opportunities, for better opportunities, for head coaching jobs or big-time coordinator jobs, it's tough to replace them. Saban has struggled doing so of late. Talk to Alabama fans. They would love to see both Golding and O'Brien gone. They're two coordinators from the last couple of years. They're hoping someone hires them away. Does Kirby keep his staff intact? We know the roster is going to turn over, but can Kirby keep his staff intact? That's the other big challenge here. Plus, no one ever wins three in a row. It just doesn't. It's just hard. But it'd be interesting to see what happens in the conference next year. Because you know Georgia is going to be your preseason number one team. They're going to be in the driver's seat. But in the East, can Billy Napier and the Florida Gators take a step? Because it was the struggle bus this year for them. Now, the second most guys to transfer out of a program to or to enter the transfer portal in the country is Florida. Behind Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M was a bunch of guys that got NIL money that decided to leave because A&M's a dumpster fire. Florida is a coaching change. They're like, eh. There, there was even the Florida player that came out and said, well, we used, to, we, we, we used to be allowed to do whatever we wanted to do. And Coach Napier's not that way. So a lot of guys don't like that. So that's why they're leaving. Yeah, that, that's some harsh truth. But can Florida start showing improvement in year two of Billy Napier? Can Josh Heupel, who's made Tennessee a nationally relevant program again, can he take the volunteers to that next level? They got close this year, right? They came into Baton Rouge, beat up LSU. They take down Alabama for the first time in 15 years. 
They threw their goalposts into the Tennessee River. But then Georgia humbled them, and then Hooker got injured. And they won't have Hendon Hooker. They won't have Jalen Hyatt. There are going to be some new pieces on offense. But those guys didn't play in the Orange Bowl. And we saw what Josh Heupel was able to do with about a month of preparation with a new quarterback and some new wide receivers. They crushed Clemson. So can Josh Heupel reload a little bit here and keep Tennessee ascending in the SEC? What about South Carolina? They lost their bowl game, but the Gamecocks did take down Tennessee and take down Clemson, get some marquee wins for Shane Beamer. Can they build off of that? So there's some intrigue in the East, even though Georgia's going to win it, I feel, with Florida, Tennessee, and South Carolina. The West, it's going to be Bama and say it's going to be Bama, Saban, LSU, Kelly. That game in Tuscaloosa is going to be for the division. It just feels that way because both teams are going to be reloading. Both teams are going to want to get after it, and they're going to control the West. Maybe Ole Miss kind of gets back on track a little bit after having a down season. And who knows what to expect out of Texas A&M. They're bringing in Bobby Petrino, but is bringing in another old guy who's a stubborn egomaniac, is that going to help your offense? I don't know. It doesn't feel that way to me. So lots of intrigue. Yes, Georgia's going to be on top of the mountain, but lots of intrigue in the Southeastern Conference. And then it goes beyond the SEC. Does Jim Harbaugh stay at Michigan? Lots of talk about him leaving. Does he come back, and can the Wolverines get over the hump after back-to-back college football playoff losses? And the last one's going to hurt the most because they let you know they were the more talented team, but they committed more mistakes against TCU. Can Ryan Day and Ohio State get over the hump after another disappointing finish to their season? And can anyone else in the Big Ten make any type of noise? Can Brett Bielema in year two with the Illinois fighting alumni make some headway? What about Penn State? They're always really good, but not great. They beat Utah in the Rose Bowl. Can they build off of that to get to 11 wins? And can they actually break through and win the Big Ten this coming season? And then you go down to the ACC. Clemson's making some changes. We know that. They were humbled by Tennessee in the bowl game. Does Florida State, are they ready, the Seminoles, to take that next step? They finally turn a corner in year three with Mike Norville, get to 10 wins, nationally ranked again. They'll face LSU in the season opener down in Orlando. But can the Seminoles now ascend to maybe take down Clemson and retake the ACC? What about North Carolina? who played for the ACC championship. Can Miami, with all its NIL deals, finally get its act together and start making strides with Mario Cristobal as head coach in year number two? Big 12. Great year for Kansas State. Great year for TCU. How do they come back after that? Both were humbled with their final games of the season. Can Oklahoma in year two of Brent Venables as the head coach 
actually be a competitive team and not be a mediocre team with seven losses? Will Texas finally emerge with Sark at the helm? They lost their bowl game, too, and didn't look good in it. And, of course, the Pac-12. Oregon seems like a team that's going to have something to say about the college football playoff. USC is going to have something to say about it. So plenty of intrigue going into next season for college football, and I can't wait. It just ended, and I can't wait. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Ali Cassell, our friend from the Bird Rights, will join us. Pelicans got a win last night, even without Zion. We'll get the latest updates on Zion's health, the team's health. Herb Jones looks like he got injured in that game as well. We'll do that with Ali next, right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hey, let's be honest. We tend to have a lot of fun here at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, a Delta Media station. And look, if you're looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience, from retail to telemarketing and everything in between, then Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to sales director Johnette Cochran at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com. That's jcochran at deltamediacorp.com or... Simply call 896-1600. That's 896-1600. Delta Media wants to hear from you. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Do you believe Georgia has a legitimate chance of three-peating next year? Right now, though, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Pelicans basketball, and there's no one better to do that than our friend, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, Ali Cassell, joins us now. Ali, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing well. Just trying to figure out how to deal with these three dogs while I talk to you during this interview. <laughs> Outstanding. I love the pups, man. I always love talking to you. I think I may enjoy seeing the pups in the background more than actually talking to you, Ollie. I hope you're not offended by that. I've heard that before. Thank you. So you're not alone. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about uh, last night's uh, win. You know, no Zion, no BI. Uh, I know Herb gets banged up in the game, right? Um, but what, what's your biggest uh, takeaways from last night's victory? I think it's really beginning to show. And I think, I hope voters start thinking about it, but CJ, CJ McCollum has been playing at an all-star level for more than a month. And you, look, the Pelicans are close to the top of the Western conference. They barely had Brandon Ingram all season. Zion's missed what about 12 games too. And yet, like I said, look at their record. They're about 20 games better than last year. And a big reason for that is CJ. So without him, I can't even imagine where this team would be because he's found his game, right? He had to deal with a lot of, a um, little bit of injury, a lot of sickness at the start of the year. And everybody's wondering what's wrong with him. You know, people on social media wanted to trade him away, but he has really, like I said, stepped up his play. He's been averaging about 25 points a game, you know, five rebounds, five assists, and shooting the ball lights out from deep for the better part of a month. 
So it starts with him. And then, look, Jonas, we always knew he could score, right? We saw what he did last year when his team was really lacking in talent or guys were hurt. And he's doing it again without Zion MBI. So those two guys, you know, Willie Green needed them to lead this team, right, with the two main stars out. And that's what they've done. And then, but the role players, I mean, we got to talk about them, right, Raymond? They've taken such a step as a collective group from last year, right? We saw what Jose, Trey, Herb did last year, but all three of them, maybe besides Herb, have taken a step forward. But then there's guys like Najee performing. You've got Dyson Daniels giving you something as a rookie. So they're as deep as any team in the West, and they confirmed it again, yet again last night, right? Larry Nance, I forgot to mention him, but each night you're getting, you know, one or two of the stars giving you production, right? CJ, Zion, but now you're also getting, you know, say two or three good performances from the, the rest of the guys. So there you go. That That's really the recipe for winning in this league. You play stout defensively, which this team has done a pretty good job of that all year, but you've got to get that offensive production from at least three, four guys. And they are, they're getting it on a nightly basis. Is the method that Willie's using so far with Zion out is using a combination of Willie and Jackson off the bench. Cause it seems like he's using both of those guys. Some nights Willie will get 16 or 17 minutes and Jackson will get three or four or five. And then last night it was flipped where Jackson got 18 and Willie got two is that going to be the the game plan while Zion is out that when they want some bigs, they'll just essentially split the time between those two guys? Yeah, it, it's definitely looking like it's matchup related. Um, and, and one thing I do like is that, for instance, Najee's being used more in Zion's role. So whether he's starting or coming off the bench, he's giving you that. Right. You know, what's about what is it about eight drives a game where he's just going to try and punish the rim or make a play for somebody else. And then the other half is coming from Jonas, where he's getting you a lot of those points in the paint that you trying to make up without Zion out there. But then off the bench, you're right. When those guys need a rest, you've got to go to your other bigs. And from what it looked like last night, got to mention this. It looks like Larry's going to start playing more four. You know, he's been playing strictly small ball five for the Pels, but more four alongside uh, Valanciunas. So, that's going to open up even more time for either Jackson or Billy. And I like it. Look, these guys are full of energy because they've barely played all season. And then with Jackson, hey, you've got a fast opponent. you got a you know fast four or five out there. You put Jackson out there. But if you got more of a stout guy, Billy's your guy. And I, I do. I like both of those guys in short spurts because they usually give you something positive. They played nine guys off the bench last night. I don't expect that every night. But while Jack, while Zion is out and B.I. is out, we didn't expect Willie to use, what, six or seven guys off the bench night in, night out? Is that fair? Yeah, he's going to go at least, you know, 10 deep, oftentimes 11. And usually as a coach, you never want to go more than 11. Last night, you got that, you know, nine off the bench because garbage time minutes, right? And I'm glad we saw it because I want to see Kyron Lewis get more minutes. I wish there was a way to figure him more into the regular rotation, Raymond, because I'm telling you what, I think there's a much improved player hiding under, um, you know, the last what year he missed with his ACL injury because his speed is undeniable. I don't think there's maybe even a faster player in the league. And when you combine that with his ability to maybe even shoot the ball now, because he looks good in practice shooting that long three or getting to the rim, it'd be another, you know, yet another different kind of look that Willie could throw out there. So, but that's getting a little off topic, but you're right. This team just so deep. Willie should play these guys, right? Because look at all the injuries that crop up. Why push, you know, 
guys that play 40 minutes or guys off the bench 30 minutes when you've got such talent. And it's what they've written, right, all year. I mean, I think I heard that the Pels are the 10th most injured team uh, so far. And, look, they've missed so many games from their stars. Go to your bench. Make sure that everybody sees some time to keep minimizing these injuries because you're going to need everybody healthy come playoff time. We're talking with Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. What's the latest updates on Zion and BI? Yeah, I wish there was a good update for Zion. I just have a feeling that, you know, they said initially three weeks, then get reevaluated. I wouldn't be surprised if he misses maybe double the amount of that time. So you're looking at around the all-star break for his Ugh. return. Because, look, hamstring strains, they're, they're tricky. If, unless you're 100% healed, you're going to likely retweak it. I mean, we saw that happen with Devin Booker in Phoenix uh, over the last month. So now he's going to miss more time. And I've seen it over the course of, you know, watching the NBA um, uh, game since I've started watching these guys. You don't want to mess with those soft tissue injuries. So I hope that he sits out a little bit longer. As for B.I., you know, we've been hearing it every day now that he should be back real soon. But it sounds like that is really around the corner because he may even practice today in full for the first time since going uh, on the shelf of that toe injury. So if he's not back for Boston, I expect him probably to get back for either the uh, away game in Detroit or in Cleveland. I know Herb got a little banged up last night. Is he okay? Yes or no? I think he is because he was listed as doubtful initially. And uh, it looked like he was trying to fight through it, right? He, he ended up shooting those free throws, was trying to walk it off. But, you know, that was a hard fall for anybody yeah. watching. He landed like right on that backside hip area so he's going to be definitely sore he may miss one game you know this is Herb we're talking about he's wanted to play through everything that he's encountered so far so I don't think it's going to be anything uh, long term at all let's look at the league as a whole how critical is the Durant injury and for Brooklyn well you gotta think it's everything I mean they were riding as high as anybody has all season right they had won, I believe, 16 of 18 games. So suddenly you take out a guy that's averaging 30 points is playing like an MVP, one of your favorites, I think, for an MVP this season award. And they're not going to be the same, right? Because that's a team vastly made up of role players that fit around their two stars in, in Durant and Kyrie Irving. So they're going to be looking like the Pelicans, I think, just trying to stay above, you know, 500 while their star is out. And hopefully he doesn't miss too much time because, you know, he is getting older. But it sounds like that he missed any kind of worst-case scenarios, uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. So, good for good for definitely good for Brooklyn. It feels like the Cavs and Spider have kind of figured things out. They started off hot. They had that lull. Now they're starting to come back. They're six and four in their last ten, which isn't great, but it, that does include his seventy-one point performance. What do you make of what the Cavs are doing in the East? Well, yeah, they started off incredibly hot this season, right? Where they start 7-0, 8-0 or something like yeah. that. Then you're right. They lost a handful of games, but now they're back. And you've got to think they're one of the top five teams in the East. You know, there's a clear five for me out there, right? Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Philly. But Cleveland's the interesting one, right? They're the inexperienced one. But Spider does give you some of that experience because he's been to the couple of playoffs with Utah Jazz. So they're, you know, they're as potent as any team out there. I mean, that combination of he and Garland in the backcourt, um, they're fantastic, right? They, they've both scored 50 points in their careers, and, and they can set up anybody. They can get you 10 assists any night. And I, and I love their defense, right? Jared Allen and um, Evan Mobley, 
they're as stout as anybody uh, if you're trying to get to the rim. So they would present problems, I think, for the Pelicans, and we'll, we'll soon see that matchup. But I like them. I mean, they're a well-constructed team. They're one of the teams that you've got to watch for probably for the next five, six years. You know, we've talked before, Ollie. We'll wrap it up with this because we've talked about the Lakers and they're, you know, a mess. AD's out and you know, LeBron is aging and, you know, their roster construction is not very good. And, and that's all true. And they're, they're six and four in their last 10. But what I've noticed is there are, there's a lot of teams in front of them that are fading for a multitude of reasons. Portland is all the way down to 10. They're three and seven in their last 10. Utah, three and seven in their last 10. They had such a good start to the season after all the trades, but yet they've come back down to earth. Phoenix is in a free for, uh, you know, free fall. Is, are the Lakers going to mess around and make at least a play-in tournament, you think? I do, as long as LeBron stays healthy. And that's not been a given, right, last couple of years. So if he goes and misses his typical 20 or so odd games, well, then, I, no, they're not going to make it. Because even though, like you said, Utah's really fading, and I expect Danny Ainge is probably going to start selling off some of those parts, I don't think anybody above them in the standings is going to uh, look to go for that Wimbenyama sweepstakes, right? So I think Portland, they're going to try and bounce back. Uh, Minnesota's finally turned it around. Phoenix, that's the one I'm keeping an eye on, right? They've lost six in a row. Oh. But yeah, the Lakers, hey, LeBron's still proving he's one of the best, right? Over these, what, last 10 games, I heard he's averaging about 34 points a game, right? So he's he's still got it, obviously. And if they get Anthony Davis back, I think, you know, the playing should be a shoo-in for that team. Clippers are fading, too. They've lost six in a row, yeah. too. It's just, well, once again, it's a long season. That's what we always say, Ollie, right? NBA is a very long season. It begins in October and doesn't end until July. <laughs> How many times have we used that line, Raymond? We've been talking about the Pelicans going through a couple of bad weeks, right, to talk people off the ledge. Now everybody else has to. <laughs> Brother, appreciate your time as always. Uh, make sure to give your pups some treats, man. They did great. I will, and I should have thought of that before I started this podcast because they would have left us alone. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, appreciate your time, bud. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Absolutely. Take care. We got to take a time out when we return. We'll get you set up for Kevin Foot in footnotes. Finalize the poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Oh, Lafayette Marble and Granite, man. They offer the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana. And they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. Look, they earned my business and, more importantly, my wife's business when we were looking to do our bathroom remodel. Found the exact countertop she wanted, the exact cut she wanted, and the customer service was huh, stellar. LMG, though, provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves, though. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new line of grout-free showers. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. I want to take a moment to thank our guests, Bob Marlin, Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach, Jim Gazzolo, McNeese Cowboys beat reporter, and Ollie Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. 
We had a poll question of the day, and we asked you, after last night's 65-7 to win over TCU, Georgia's won back-to-back. First team to win back-to-back since Bama did it in 11-12, and only the fourth team to do it in the last 30 years. Can they do the impossible and win three in a row? 43% of you say yes. 38% say no. 19% of you say maybe. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day and to all of you who left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget we got LSU men's basketball tonight versus Florida. Right here on the game. That'll be from the PMAC. We'll have that for you tonight. But until tomorrow, when we're back on from 6 to 9, I want you to be safe out there. I want you to be kind to one another. Up next, Kevin Foot and Footnotes right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros.